Hello and welcome to episode 697 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Wednesday, May 29th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, and I failed, and I know that. This is part three of the rotation check-ins that I was supposed to have by the weekend, and I didn't, and I sincerely apologize. Um, yeah, the last one of these was out on May 21st. You can find part one all the way back on finding it now. May 15th. You know, two weeks to get them all out. It maybe isn't so terrible. Um, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll be easier on myself about it, but I did want to get it done. You know what? And I just, uh, Fridays can really kind of get away from me a little bit as far as time goes. And that was kind of be going to be my last day. Saturday just wasn't going to work. And so I think I was budgeting in that I could maybe do it Saturday if necessary. And that was foolish, but we're here. We're doing it. We got the final 10. We're going from Philly through Washington. Let's go. Let's start with that uh, with that Philadelphia Phillies rotation. They had a big returner last night. Nick Pavetta is back on the bump. Gets off to a bumpy start, in fact. Uh, terrible punt. Wasn't even intentional. You know, if I'm going to do a god-awful pun like that, I really would like it to be something that I plan. But no, it was, you know, it was something I think he had allowed three runs in the first three innings. Or excuse me, in the first inning. Um, checking that fact right now. Yeah, the the three runs that he allowed for Pavetta were in the first inning. So you see, you know, two hits, three runs. You're like, here we go. Pavetta's back. You know, the two home runs. And then he really settled down. His his final four innings, he allowed just one hit, two walks, and had five strikeouts over the final four there. So he really settled down. Um, in the minors, he was getting a lot of a lot of punch outs and kind of you know being solid 12.2 strikeout per nine right that's 50 strikeouts in 37 innings the walks were a bit high but he was keeping the ball in the yard he wasn't allowing hits he was very successful in the minors so hopefully he figured some things out and nick nick pavetta can continue to be an asset he's someone that the market really doesn't peel away from they they kind of stay the course um you know Again, I, I credit to Scott Pianowski dubbed him America's sleeper because, you know, you just it was one of those guys. I call him wide awake sleepers. He was probably the king of it. Every, when everyone tabs you a sleeper, you're not a sleeper. And that was Nick, Nick Pavetta to a T. So I think people still want to cash in on some of that preseason hype there. And that's why you don't find him coming very cheaply. Let's talk about their ace, though, Aaron Nola. Now, over the last month, he does have an ERA down at 312 and a 30% strikeout rate, both factors that you like. But a 150, 150 whip is pretty substantial there. So I tell you what, though, as bad as it's been on the year, 453-154 ERA whip combo for Nola, you're going to take the great ERA even with ugly whip. Um, And, you know, I got to interrupt this very quickly here. I got the Padres-Yankees game on. And they're doing a little little bracket here on or a little uh, graphic bracket. What the hell's a bracket? Uh, the fish that got away, and they're highlighting Chris Paddock, Domingo Herman, and Luis Castillo, all three guys who were Marlins. Dude, they just love to piss away talent. Derek Dietrich, three homers yesterday, former Marlin. Obviously, the um, amazing outfield that they had gone. Like. Every team you can put together a little something on guys that that got away, 
or guys that they sold low on or, or, or just, just flat out let go and, you know, kind of kick yourself moments. I feel like the Marlins have have the most right now. I mean, you could just you could just put together a squad. But anyway, suck it, Marlins, you idiots. Back to Philly, back to Nola. Take the good ERA right now and the great strikeout rate and kind of build on that. Let's see if he can get this uh, this 9.4 hits per nine down, 11% walk rate. Those are kind of the two factors that are keeping that whip high. But it looks like he's finally kind of going in the right direction at least. And so those that, that bought in and, you know, he, he's fronting rotations. Maybe if you went pitcher-pitcher, you have Aaron Nola as a two. But for the most part, he is fronting rotations. Uh, he hasn't given up more than three earned in his last, uh, let's see, that would be seven starts dating back to April 15th was the last time. So progressing, he's a set it in, forget it right now because you can't really do anything. You can, I guess for the forget it part, you can keep an eye on Aaron Nolan and monitor his progress and see what's going on, but that's really all you can do. You're not taking him out of your lineup. You're not trying to get cute with when you start him. He's in, he's he's just going forward. Um, let's see, the, the next three guys... They're all kind of similar. In fact, it is kind of Nola up at the top, and then I think the the other four, throw Pavetta in there with Zach Eflin, Jake Arrieta, and Jared Eikhoff. They're all they're all kind of similar. Um, I'll start with Arietta. He's kind of that boring guy that if you have him on your roster, you, you pretty much got to play him because I, I I don't know I don't know that he has any distinct patterns one way or the other that can make you feel comfortable about uh, about spot starting him. He's not great. He's going to get blown up every once in a while, but you just kind of take the good with the bad and and you know hope that that bottom line that you're looking for, which is kind of a mid three mid to high threes ERA, a mediocre whip and and some volume strikeouts really. And you know, he's not doing 200 innings anymore, but 197, 168, 173 over the last 3 years. Probably has Arietta relatively high in total innings, just because hardly anybody's going 200. So even Arietta, a guy who is known for maybe having some health concerns outside of those uh, two brilliant years with the Cubs, even his 170 plus is, is is pretty decent there. So I don't really have a whole lot to say on him. I just feel like if you've got him on your roster and and He's worthy of being rostered in your league. You, you probably need to be starting him. Maybe one thing that you could factor if you were trying to curate a little bit with Arietta would be heavy lefty teams. He has a pretty sharp platoon split this year. 598 OPS against righties, 865 against lefties. Let me see if that dates back to last year as well because that could be something that, that you could then look at. You know, Does, does the team's... Eh, 656, 812 last year. So yeah, I mean, we're really starting to see Arietta can do his best work on righty heavy lineups. He does get the Dodgers later this week at LA, and you better believe that they're going to stack lefties. And then at San Diego, what's San Diego's righty lefty split? Everyone I'm thinking of right now, except for Hosmer, is righty. So I'm trying to think. Who else do the Padres have? Um, like Greg Garcia, but like. Who cares? Uh, sorry, Greg Garcia, you're 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 a stud. Um, no, I think that they're pretty ready. I mean, Renfro, Will Myers, Manny Machado, um, Tatis isn't playing still. Yo, could you load any slower for me, Paige? I'm really trying to do something here. I'm I'm recording a podcast. This is unbelievable that I cannot get this page to load with the Padres offense. Who cares? You know what? 
just oh. start. Oh, finally, there it goes. Yeah, Greg Garcia and Eric Hosmer are the only two uh, full-time lefties that the Padres are starting. Maybe they get in Austin Allen and and or a Josh Naylor in the lineup there too. But either way, I think you're starting you're starting Arietta at that start. The one at the Dodgers, that's a little bit more dicey. Uh, Jared Eikhoff got off to a great start this year and then really has hit the skids over the last month. 504 ERA, 132 whip in 25 innings of work with uh, just an 18% strikeout rate and 9% walk rate. So the rates have really come down. Now an 11% swinging strike rate says, okay, we're still getting some swings and misses there. It just isn't translating into full-scale strikeouts. So maybe there's a little reason to not fully run away, but 2.5 homers per nine. So something's going on with the command for Jared Eikhoff where teams are just pummeling him home run-wise, and that's been the key factor in decimating his ERA this this particular month. In fact, it's his last three games in particular. Two, three, and two homers. So you got seven homers in three games. Uh, what we've got there is 13 earned runs in... 12 innings of work. Yikes. So that's just brutal. Now, it's Milwaukee twice and the Rockies. The Rockies were at at home for uh Eikhoff, but you know, they 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 did the damage on him. But then two against the Brewers. You can kind of excuse that, right? You can or or you know, understand it and say, "Sure, you know, um a great team and and a, at least a capable team. I know the Rockies aren't very good away from home, but it's weird because you see the numbers, and when they're not good away from home, it's something that we've kind of come to expect. But then anytime they do rise up, I'm like, well, yeah, because look at look at the players on that team. So I kind of I kind of judge it both ways, which is you know maybe a little too fence straddly there. Generally, you would expect to beat the the Rockies on the road because they they do so poorly away from Coors, but they rose up against Zykoff. But then Milwaukee twice, you know, if the if the lineup. Or if the uh, schedule loosens up a little bit on Eikhoff, I think he'll be fine. He also gets to pitch in that at San Diego series. He caps off the St. Louis series that they're currently in. You know, St. Louis isn't bad, but I don't know that they're terrifying. This could be a, a pivotal start here. Folks are kind of sitting him for this one. I understand it. But then you get back on track at San Diego, and we'll see where he's at from there with Jared Eikhoff. Still sort of intriguing. If he's kind of being streamed in something in, like a 10-teamer, I totally understand it, but I'm not going to totally take him off my radar because I do still think there are some positive things with Jared Eikhoff that could make him a key summer asset. Zach Eflin is is kind of similar in that regard, except uh, he's going the other way right now. He's performing very well. He, he'll have his ebbs and flows, it seems. I still, I'm still uh, being a crybaby over that brutal start at Miami. And that sucker was a month and a half ago. That was April 13th. Get over it, Paul. Move the hell on. But it was three homers, six earned at Miami. And I'm just like, what? How? Why? But how, you know, if you look at it since that point, 272 ERA in 49 and two thirds innings, only 33 strikeouts, but that's okay. I don't think we need Zach Eflin to be a major strikeout guy to still be valuable. He's shown some swing and miss uh, in the past. But it, it kind of comes and goes. It, it, he's one of those guys, you know, last year he had a 10% mark that you like. But in this year, it's down to 9%, 8% during this this uh, this month-long run where Eflin is beasting. That That's not his game. Strikeouts aren't his game. He can spike a 7-8 strikeout game here and there. 
But if that's what you go in expecting or needing from somebody, he's not your guy. You're looking for a strong whip, solid ERA, and hopefully good win context because Pitts, uh, Philadelphia is a good ball club. Other than that, you kind of take the strikeouts that you can get there. If he stays around this area, he's at 7.0 as far as a K9, 19% as far as a strikeout rate. We're living with that. If not, by the way, if it falls too much below that, then we need these rates, the the ratios, the ERA and WHIP to really hold strong to justify Zach Eflin in some of the shallower leagues. So that's going to cover Philly there. Let's move on to Pittsburgh. Boy, Pittsburgh's been uh, a thing. <laughs> they really, they really kind of run guardrail, guardrail to guardrail with some of their guys here. Joe Musgrove has been fantastic at times, and he has an 8.25 ERA over the last month. Jordan Lyles has been great uh, at times as well. And even with yesterday's shellacking at Cincinnati at the hands primarily of Derek Dietrich, uh, although I don't know if he got – I know he got one of them off Lyles. I don't know if he got all uh, all three or even two of them. But even with that even with that rough start, Lyles has still been good. Uh, you know, it ended up not being too bad. Three earned in four innings. No one's going to sit here and be like, that's that's fine. It was only one one of Dietrich's homers. Really, the six earned against Colorado at home was tough. And again, I go right back to what I said earlier when talking about Eikhoff. When Colorado rises up, you see the box score and you're like, well, duh. It's Nolan Arenado. It's it's David Dahl. It's Trevor Story. It's Charlie Blackman when he's healthy. Uh, you know, It's some of their interesting young guys. It's It's Daniel Murphy. This makes sense. But at the same time, you have an expectation that when you get Colorado away from Coors, you get him in a uh, in PNC Park, a very friendly pitcher park. You want a big you want a big game there. Now it was a weird one where uh, Lyles gave up all six in the sixth, so he was dominating them, and then they exploded in the uh, in the sixth inning there. So I don't really take too much from that start, and I'm not too worried about a mediocre. Well, we'll call it poor. We'll call it poor. Three 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 runs, four innings. It's it, that's a poor start. So we'll call it a poor one. At Cincinnati, I'm really not deterred here. I'm sticking with Jordan Lyles. I've really liked what he's been able to do this year. He's been riding that curveball. Uh, it's been really uh, helping him have a strikeout pitch. Seems like he's been around forever because you know he was a he was a pretty big prospect with the Astros, first round pick, um, 38th overall. I was trying to find out where he was drafted in the 2008 draft. So he's been around for a whole minute, but he's still only 28. It, it, it's weird when you kind of sit back and and add up the years on some of these guys yeah they've been around for a decade and yet they're still in the midst of their prime and so it's not that surprising to see somebody like Jordan Lyles you know figure some things out here and curveball usage has been a big driving force in what he's been able to do the last two years as more of a strikeout guy decent fastball and voila 26% strikeout rate 309 ERA 110 whip I'm continuing to stick with Lyles in all formats He'll get Milwaukee this week. Now, it does get bumpy here. He gets Milwaukee back-to-back after this. A little home-and-home action with Milwaukee. If he comes out of this, though, shining, then I don't. I think you gotta, I think you really got to um, stop questioning Lyles a bit for, for at least a good while. So this will be a great test here. There are some leagues where I have to start him. You know, I just, the depth of league, where I'm kind of relying on him, I don't really have the option to kind of bench Jordan Lyles. There are some shower leagues, like a 12-teamer, where I think I can take one of those out. I'll, I'll probably be more inclined to take off the at Milwaukee one uh, versus the the one this Sunday 
In fact, in weekly lineups, I can't do anything about the one this Sunday versus Milwaukee at home. But I'm eager to see what Lyles can do with back-to-back Milwaukee outings. Jameson Tyon was somebody, obviously, I loved coming into the year. His health has been a major issue, and now he's on the 60-day DL. Um, Trevor Williams was he was doing it to him again, man. And until a recent injury, it was still wild. Uh, 333 ERA, 113 whip for Trevor Williams through 54 innings, just carrying over the crazy run that he had last year. We can't fully explain it because it's not in the underlying metrics of strikeouts or even, you know, well, this year it's been a, a pretty great walk rate. Last year it was like a good walk rate, but it wasn't insane. A right side strain, by the way, has put him on the IL, and it should be another couple weeks, unfortunately, for uh for Trevor Williams, but it's not like he has an amazing soft contact rate either. It's not like he has a minuscule hits per nine. Like there's nothing that really stood out this year. The walk rate stands out really nicely, but even that again is new to the, to the mix. He keeps the ball in the yard. He certainly leverages his home park. Trevor Williams at some point though, when you're looking at what is it now, 225 innings of like a 320 ERA or something here. Let me let me just add up last year and this year, 225 or 224 and two thirds, 316 ERA, 117 WHIP. It's only come with 168 strikeouts. That's a 6.7 mark, uh, but 65 walks, uh, only 19 homers. That's sub one homer per nine. 7.9 hits. Clearly, he does he does things well that aren't as uh, aren't as dominant or, or aren't as visible in a profile, but he's a pretty successful pitcher. I've kind of moved. I, I kind of moved until the injury. I moved Trevor Williams up, and I was like, "Listen, I'm just going to start acknowledging that he's pitching really well." And until I see something different, maybe just because I can't explain it doesn't mean I'm going to say that it's definitely going to end because he's he does some things well. Chris Archer. You know, our own Ariel Cohen, uh, proprietor of the ATC projections, has been on this one for a while. This is kind of one of his uh, one of his causes out there to get people to better properly assess Chris Archer. Now, he and I had a discussion on Twitter, and it was for me, it was more about uh, analyzing what Archer had done prior to this year. This year's all its own beast uh, of of underperformance and and poor performance. But coming into this year, the idea that the idea that he's like been this longtime loser who's just getting by on name value, I don't really subscribe to. He did have a 431 ERA last year with a 138 whip. That wasn't good, but that was the first real failure, I would say. 402 and 407 ERAs in 16 and 17, those aren't great, but the whips were perfectly fine, and it was 200 plus in, 201, 201 innings on the on the button for each of those seasons with 233 and 249 strikeouts. There was fantasy value there, without a doubt. Last year was was pretty bad, uh, especially for shallow or mixed leagues. And then this year he's been awful. And frankly, he's like a streamer at best right now. You know, it, it's something that it, this isn't going well. And I don't see a lot that makes me confident that, that Chris Archer is really going to get it back. Remember when he was traded here, Nick Pollock and I talked about it uh, when he was traded to Pittsburgh, and this was probably our least favorite landing spot for Chris Archer because we figured that they were gonna they were gonna pump more fastballs for him and, and say get away from the slider as opposed to what I think should be the other way. I think he should be throwing the slider like a Corbin esque, you know, 
Well, actually, where's Corbin at right now? Is Corbin up over over forty five percent with his with his slider? And it was only forty one last year and thirty eight this year. He actually does have a Corbin esque slider usage uh, for Archer because it's been at uh, 44, 42, and then 37% so far this year. He has incorporated a new changeup at 13%. I don't know if it's not really working that well. Honestly, a lot of this boils down to fastball, though. Uh, His slider hasn't been as good for Chris Archer, and so that puts more pressure on the fastball. So if the slider isn't uber dominant, he has like no margin for error because he has nothing to go to. So, it's bad. I, I don't really think he needs to be on a roster in a 10-team league right now. The name value will continue to draw people back in. But he gets Milwaukee and Atlanta next two times out. I don't really want to mess with that. I'm passing. As far as the fifth starter right now, you know, it's been a cavalcade of not great. Uh, Nick Kingham, no. Stephen Brault, no. Montana, do Rapu, Rapau. Let me find out how to pronounce this. This guy's name is Montana. That's fantastic. Oh, come on. You don't have a pronunciation guide yet? Do Rapau. Rapau. D-U. Capital R-A-P-A-U. P-A-U is the beginning of my name. Paw. Throw an L on there. Paul. What if his name was Paul? That'd be pretty sick. I don't think Montana has much to go off of here. Uh, Mitch Keller did come up to, for a spot start, got blasted in his first inning, which you hate to see on a debut. You feel bad for a guy, you know, a, a heralded debut, and he gets just pummeled in that first inning. But he did settle down for three strong innings after that. Um, didn't allow another run. All six runs came on six hits, two walks in the first inning. And then he had three strong innings where he allowed just one hit with five strikeouts. So you like that. You like seeing a little bit of guile there from from a a Mitch Keller type. I don't know if that was a spot start and he's already back down or if it's something where he could contend for the fifth starters role because they don't really have anybody. But I'm going to go ahead and check real quick on that before we even move forward on Mitch Keller here. I'm getting you breaking news. Nope, he is optioned back. Yep, they're like, that's doubleheader. You go back, good sir. But keep an eye on him for when he comes back. I do like that he uh, that he settled down and ended up uh, kind of salvaging it a little bit for four innings there. And so they didn't have to remove him after one and go eight with the bullpen. Um, I think that covers it for Pittsburgh. Let's see. Moving on to San Diego now. Chris Paddock's pitching right now in the Bronx. He has given up three runs, uh, including a Gio Urshela homer. I think that was a two-run shot. I don't know how the other run was allowed. He's going off against James Paxton. That's that's nice little afternoon, a little afternoon treat, by the way. Paxton's going to be limited on pitches. I think they're looking at about 75 or so pitches coming off the IL. So we'll see how many innings that can get. Of course, if you don't allow a single base runner, that's going to help you. In fact, he got four uh, no-hit innings. He did a lot. He did allow two walks with seven strikeouts. It ended up being 66 pitches, and and they just cut it off there. And uh, so th- that's that's the end of his day. Chad Green's going to come in, and Chris Paddock. It was it's actually been three solo shots. Lemayhu, Urshela, and Voigt have gotten him. So, you know, it's one of those games where it's like everything else around it has been good, but when he's missing, the guys are getting him. He's got uh, five hits, so three of them are homers for the three runs in four innings. Five strikeouts, no walks. You're still seeing nasty stuff. 
out of uh, out of Chris Paddock for sure. He's got uh, a 14% swinging strike rate with nine misses on 65 pitches. But you know, you, you have those challenge those challenge pitches in, in the heart of the plate. I, I don't know if they were fastballs or, or changeups that hung or breaking balls that that didn't do what they want or good pitches that the opposition did well with. Not every home run is a bad pitch. Uh, I think sometimes it's kind of treated that way. Well, you know, he threw a terrible pitch. No, sometimes the batter. The, the batter's trying to, believe it or not. Um, by the way, speaking of swinging strikes, Paxton threw 66 pitches. I'm just going to give you a brief moment here to guess in your mind. Say it out loud. Don't just say it in your head. Do whatever you want here. Just guess on 66 pitches how many swings and misses John, uh, James Paxton had. You got your number? You were wrong. It was You were too low. It was 17. It was 17, 17 out of 66, 26%. That's nasty. He's looking good. That's got to be huge for the Yankees. They got to be loving that. But we're talking Padres here, and uh, uh, Paddock has been awesome. I know we're starting to already get into that point as we turn the calendar to June later this week of people freaking out of like, well, when's he going to be shut down? You know, what 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 do I do with him? You Listen, you just ride it out at this point. I don't think you can really prepare for it. If you get some amazing can't miss deal that uh, is a is a sell high sort of deal that you want to take, I can maybe understand something like that. But unless it's an obvious where you're really getting paid off for Paddock, just ride it out. Because even those of you that that really dove in on him, let me let me look at some ADPs on Chris Paddock. Because I feel like even those of you that were aggressive with him, you didn't pay a price to where. If he only goes like a buck fifty, it's bad. Now I will say this: I'm talking roto head-to-head leaguers. You have a different calculus, but I'll get to that in a minute. So his ADP was 165 for Chris Paddock, a high of 128, which that that person took him in the ninth round. Okay, so ninth round pitcher. Who are some of the other guys that were going around there? Let me go look. Round pick one. That's where you uh, Darvish, Kyle Hendricks, Chris Archer. Um, Let's see, Nick Pavetta was in that general range, Eduardo Rodriguez. Those are some flawed arms as well. And they're not exactly guaranteed to be like 200-inning studs. So even the highest end of Chris Paddock is still getting a major, major windfall on him. So just ride out the innings. You believed in the guy. I, I, I think, again, unless you really get a deal that is that is just too good to be true, where you're getting a premium ace, um, and I don't even know why this would come about. That's I'm, say, it's, I'm saying it as a hypothetical, but if someone gave you like a legit frontliner and something else, um, and and wanted to make that deal, I guess you could do it. But I'm more inclined to just ride it out, take my other 100 innings, because you never know either, right? We don't know what they're going to do with a potential shutdown. If they're competing, maybe they bypass it and they just play the uh, the schedule game where they kind of. Give them eight days off here and, and five, you know, regular five here and ten here, and just kind of go up and down with it to get him to the finish line while maximizing his innings for Chris Paddock. They should go with pitches, by the way. I I've railed on this before. I hate innings limits. It should be pitch limit because if I'm more efficient, why would you limit me uh, based on that when when pitches should obviously be the metric that they're looking at. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Love Chris Paddock. Love what he's doing. A uh, little cowboy up there going going crazy. Uh, next up is Matt Strom. Remember the panic that set in after his first start? 
folks were like, oh my God, what did I pay for? What did Spore and Nick Pollock get me to pay for here? And now it's looking pretty good. Through 10 starts, 321 ERA with a 113 whip. He does have 51 strikeouts in 56 innings. The strikeouts were lagging a little bit too. So for him to actually be within a stone's throw of a strikeout per inning is pretty nice for Matt Strom. Let me look at uh, let me look at some game log action here. That first start, he allowed five runs on 11 base runners in two and two thirds against Arizona, which by the way, turned out like, hey, getting beat up by Arizona, everyone does that these days. They're, they're, they're pretty darn good. So that ends up not being something that you would, you would say is such an easy start now. But since that point, if you just look at, if you kind of lop off that first start and say, you know what? That was your last spring training start. Let's let's start your season on April 7th. He's got a 2.53 ERA with 49 strikeouts and 53 and a third for Matt Strom against just eight walks, by the way. He has almost as many homers as walks with seven homers allowed. So that's actually not a great thing, the homer piece, but the walk piece is. He's allowed four homers in his last two games, but only five total runs. So it's something to be aware of. Home runs are, are part of uh, Matt Strom's game here. But, you know, if you're not walking anybody and, and you're limiting hits, they're going to be solo shots, and that's that's not the end of the world. But we, we are aware of it. Again, Matt Strom, similar to, similar to Paddock, based on what you paid for him, I mean, because he was even cheaper than Paddock. By, by the time draft season really hit the high gear, uh, Paddock was going well ahead of Strom. So I'm, I'm riding this out. I'm excited by what he's been able to do lately. Uh, the swinging strikes, like I said, are, are getting there. He is a, a true three-pitch guy with a fourth show-me pitch. In fact, you could even say if, if kind of 10% is your threshold, it's four pitches because he does throw that curveball rounded up to 10%. It's at 9.6. So we'll, we'll cheat a little bit, round it up. And so he's got uh, 40% fastball, 35% slider, 15% change, and 10% curve for Matt Strom diversity of arsenal 10 percent swinging strike rate perfectly adequate doesn't walk guys keeping the hits down of late uh, after some hit troubles early on the home runs are the one concern and uh, we'll just kind of we'll kind of monitor it from there but i really like what uh, matt strom's been able to do next up on their team is joey lucchese Another guy I'm a big fan of. I, I love this front three here with, with Paddock, Strom, Lucchese. Uh, really interested in all three of them this year. Was trying to get shares of, of them across the board. Paddock was the only one that push come to shove. I didn't pay the freight on, um, but I do have my Lucchese and Strom shares. Lucchese has a 425 ERA on the season, but a 118 whip. So you like to see a, a, a whip that, uh, that, that portends perhaps maybe some improved ERA going forward. Or maybe even if not, uh, it's still an asset, right? It's, it's kind of the Joe Musgrove thing from last year where his ERA was just a bit over four, but his whip was really good. And I've talked about this before too where we 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 weirdly judge those guys differently than the vice versa of a sub four ERA with, with an ugly whip. We don't really... We don't really judge that in the same light. Th- those, they're opposite type of pitcher in, in terms of what they do, but... I think the guy with the four-something ERA and the low whip is just as valuable, if not more, than the guy who has the the more eye-pleasing ERA and poor whip. Give me the guy who's keeping base runners uh, at bay more so than the guy who's kind of getting runs lucky. I, obviously, you don't want to keep runs from, from scoring, but if you're putting that many base runners on, you're having to do more work. 
Work smarter, not harder. Anyway, Lucchese striking out over a batter per inning, just barely at 57 strikeouts in 55 innings. He's been running hot over the past month. 338 ERA, .83 whip with 25% strikeout rate. Uh, Everything's been clicking for Lucchese of late. I remember there was some talk of maybe cutting him from folks in April. And I hope you didn't do that. He did end April with an ERA just a shred under four or under five, excuse me. In fact, after his first start in May, uh, when he allowed three runs in five innings to the Dodgers, he was at five, and so he was probably getting getting cut. And this was a guy. This is not hindsight. This is a guy I was sticking with and saying, "I'm going to ride this out here. I really want to see what he can do." Once he gets, you know, once he gets through that 10, 15 start threshold here, we're at 10 starts now and it's down to 425 with the ERA and we'll see where he's at in five more. Uh, his last three starts in particular have been excellent, including an 11 strikeout gem at Toronto. Toronto's garbage, um, but it counts the same. You know, we talk about schedule stuff and I think sometimes people point it out to denigrate a player and it's like, well, unless the schedule is going to get a lot more difficult then. I don't really care that much because my league doesn't count things less if they're against a, a weak opponent. So be mindful of schedules, especially if someone you know, literally only beats up on the weak teams and, and struggles against the good ones. Maybe that's your that's your, your stream potential. But uh, I don't really see that with Lucchese. I think he can handle good teams. He stood tall in Colorado um, at the Rockies in Coors Field, just one run in five and a third, only four base runners, four strikeouts. So sign me up. I like Lucchese. Think he's kind of a uh, usually start kind of guy. You might you might take a start off here or there, but for the most part, I'm just kind of keeping him in the lineup. He gets Miami, Philly, uh, oh for his next two starts there, Miami and both at home, which you like for sure. Uh, who's up next here? Robbie Erwin, Eric Lauer, uh, Cal Quantrill, Nick Margevich. I think I think Margevich has been sent down. And um, let me see here. Let me see. let me see if Mark. Yeah, he's been sent down. In fact, so has Quantrill. So it is Erlin and um, Eric Lauer backing up. So I'll focus on on those two. And we'll we'll start with. I mean, they're, they're kind of similar, right? They're, they're kind of nondescript lefties who don't walk guys and you know kind of have that command and control profile. Erlin was somebody I really loved. As a prospect, especially once he got traded to San Diego, because he he came up in Texas, and he was a, kind of a uh, you know fill fill the zone type of guy who doesn't walk anybody, but can be a little bit homer prone, and you didn't want that in Texas. And he was coming over to San Diego back when their park was super super pitcher friendly. It's now like solid. It's still pitcher friendly, but it's not it's not death to hitters anymore. And so I really liked Erlin coming over there. It's not really panned out. I mean, he has a career 437 ERA, but only 282 innings. And he debuted back in 2013. So injuries have been a real problem. I don't know if you hear it, but Kyle's here. I I don't I don't know when these people landscape. These people, meaning Kyle freaking Gibson. Because I do the podcast on several different days. And they're always here. I don't understand it. And yet, the 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 paradox is, when I go out, you know, take my dog out, I see like the grass looks like crap. Relatively, not often, I wouldn't say, because it's not an unkempt place. But you know, there's times I'm like, well, why isn't this grass been cut? And yet, I feel like they're here every day. I don't think I use the phrase paradox, by the way. 
I don't think I used that properly. But um, maybe I did. Maybe I'm just stupid. Who knows? But I don't understand how they're here right now. Maybe they do different things. Like they only come here to, to do the edging. And then they only come here to do the, the trimming of the hedges. And then they only come here to do the, the grass cutting. And all those are on different days. I don't know. But it's quiet for now. Well, they'll be here in a second. And they'll, it'll sound like it's in my office. Anyway, sorry, Robbie Erlin. Back to you. Is he starting right now or is he being an opener? Because I see in the last month he has two innings uh, as a starter. Now, I don't know if that's two single-inning starts or a two-inning start. Let me see here. He started a game in Toronto as an opener, but he's back in the bullpen. So maybe I wasted time talking about him, but if they're going to use him as an opener, whatever. So let's focus on Eric Lauer then because he's he's kind of trying to become what Erlen couldn't become. And, you know, he's a prospect of some acclaim. I don't know if he was a top 100 guy. Uh, looking on Baseball Reference, they they kind of take some of the three major sites. I think they usually have BA, Baseball America, Baseball Perspectives, and MLB.com, and they put those up for the historicals. So he doesn't have any of those for Eric Lauer as a top 100 guy, but he's definitely been a, a top 10 org guy, and that's pretty good in, in San Diego because they've got a deep a, a deep system. So coming into last year, he was he was top 10 in their system. Uh, he used his rookie eligibility last year, so he wasn't coming into this year. But they believe in him. They like him. He's not bad. He is kind of a, a streamer type, sort of a fringe guy. I don't really think you're messing with him in 10-teamers, except maybe here and there on the occasional two-start week that really sets up nicely for him. You know, if you look at his numbers, he's gotten bombed out in the place you would expect. Three runs... Uh, Eight runs in three innings for Eric Lauer in Colorado. Okay. But then also five runs in six innings at San Francisco. So you'd have definitely taken that one on the chin. If you're talking about, you know, pulling away some of the starts that you might have gotten away from based on spot starting him, you could take those eight runs out in the three innings. But then you also have to give back the one run on five and a third that he threw just yesterday, being Tuesday for Eric Lauer in the Bronx. Because you wouldn't have started him there either. So you can take all that out. You take the eight and a third and nine runs, and let's see let's see where he's at. That would be 20, uh, 20 earned in 50 and a third. That's going to give you a 358 ERA. That's not too bad. That's not too bad. You got to take out five strikeouts. That's going to be 44 strikeouts in the 50 innings. Not bad for Eric Lauer. So again, spot starter. That's it. Something that you're doing there. Deeper leagues, you know, where you have to kind of take anybody with a pulse. Okay, fine. But uh, 10, 12, probably even 15 mixer. Now, Lauer, as far as being a streamer in a 15-team mixer, is probably streaming from your bench to to the starting lineup, whereas in the 10 and 12, he's, he's going from your lineup back onto the waiver wire. All right, next team up is Seattle. And I'm sorry, Seattle fans. It's not good because they've been... They've been brutal of late. You know, they got off to a fast start. And I think even a lot of Mariners fans understood the score here. They realized that the hitting was over its head. It was unlikely to be something that was really going to last. And it hasn't in a big way. They've really fallen on hard times. They are now down at 23-32. and They're dead last in the division. And let me see here. They're 6-19 and in May. I mean, they were 5-1 and one in March, right? 
and then 13 and 13 in April. Like this isn't that surprising. They were hitting well, but they had a they had a dead even run differential in April, uh, 141 apiece, which nets a 500 record. You know that's that's the way it should be. And as far as their pitching goes, you know Kikuchi, you say Kikuchi is kind of interesting. Marco Gonzalez has bouts of of uh, intrigue, but then always seems to get hammered and ruin it. It's always like the downside of Marco Gonzalez always seems to be that disastrous start that just pisses on three good starts. And that's what happened yesterday. In fact, that's happened in two of his last three. Of course, he ran into Minnesota and Texas, two teams that you you don't want to run into. Dude, what a schedule this has been for uh, for Marco Gonzalez. The fact that he survived May with a... Well, never mind, he hasn't. He has a 586 ERA. Oh, hang on. So, oh, I messed up. Well, not messed up. I did last 30 days, and obviously it's May 29th, so that's bringing in some late April starts. And so I think that's helping uh, Marco Gonzalez's numbers. It, well, it shouldn't be. Never mind, because his last April start was April 25th. That wouldn't fit in the last 30 days. I don't know. Um, oh, no. It does say 586 right here. I'm dumb. That's it. I'm dumb. I was looking at the wrong person. I was looking at Yusei Kikuchi's ERA, thinking that that was Marco Gonzalez's. But anyway, let me give you the schedule that Gonzalez has had. Cubs at home. Goes to the Yankees and Red Sox back-to-back. Home for the Twins. At Texas. Home for Texas. So he's been bombed out in three of them. Mediocre. Actually, pretty pretty lame in Boston. Only lasted four innings. Gave up four runs, but only two were earned. So you got a little bit saved there. Great in the Bronx. Um, great in Texas, but then blasted at home by the Cubs, Twins, and Rangers. It's just, that's, that's so rough, man. And I don't even know what to, what to read from that. That's just a very difficult schedule. He might start getting put on some waiver wires in shallower leagues, and I might go take a shot on Marco Gonzalez, despite the fact that, you know, he's not going to miss bats. But the schedule has to lighten up for him. That's kind of what I'm going to go off of here. Let me see what the immediate schedule's looking like. This weekend he gets the Angels, and then next week he goes Angels back to back, a home and home, home this week, and then at at their home the following week. Uh, so that's a Sunday to Friday there for Marco Gonzalez. They're actually pretty good against righties though. That that is not really a lightening up of the schedule. Let me see where the Angels are against righties of late. They are. Still fifth in WRC+. plus. They only strike out 17% of the time. That's a league low. And he already doesn't get strikeouts for Marco Gonzalez. So, oh wait. Marco Gonzalez is a lefty. I'm so stupid. Hang on. Hang on. Going to lefties. Angels, angels, angels. Okay. They're 23rd in WRC+, plus at 84. But they still only strike out 16% of the time. Which is also the best. So they're the best against both sides of the plate. So... They don't do a lot of damage, but he's certainly not going to get any strikeouts. So the ball is going to be in play, and that god-awful defense that they have in Seattle certainly doesn't help. In fact, that's probably why Marco Gonzalez has eight, un, uh, excuse me, more than that, 12 unearned runs this year. So uh, I'm peeling back a little bit on saying that I might go get him in, in, in the leagues where he's going to start being cut. Wait for the schedule to lighten up even more 
and and really really start to look better for Marco Gonzalez. It sucks, man. I I, I kind of bought into him late in draft season, thinking, you know, I liked him as a prospect. He's a command and control sort of guy. If he can, you know, limit all those walks, get a little. And what I didn't assess was their their terrible defense, by the way, because he has to uh, he has to thrive with a defense for Marco Gonzalez. And I didn't know it was going to be this bad. And that's enough to tip the scales for me to really peel off of Marco Gonzalez because you're not getting strikeouts. So if they're letting hits drop in, that's eating at the whip that his walk rate is trying to to maintain. They're letting runs in. It's just a bad situation. So I'm 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 moving away from Marco Gonzalez as much about his context as anything that he's doing or not doing, as it were. As far as you you say Kikuchi goes, um, as I mentioned earlier, I misread his ERA as uh, as Marco Gonzalez's. He you know he's put up a three ERA and a one ten WHIP over his last thirty innings. Hasn't been too bad. I know there was a little bit of bumpiness uh, early on, and I know some folks are a little nonplussed by the uh, by the way they're going to manage him and, and give him that opening start where he's really just going to go a couple innings every once in a while. Now I wonder if that's going to be something. Okay, so I see he you know he was blasted his last time out. Uh, only lasted three and a third, although it was seventy four pitches, so it was like a a foolish start. I was going to say I wonder if like a bad start can fill in for that or if they still go through with it you just kind of hope it doesn't come when the schedule would be favorable right you know in one of those situations you want it to be like against houston in well maybe not in houston houston sneak tip nice ballpark to pitch in you don't want to go against that lineup they didn't lose carlos correa today but you still don't want to go against that lineup but uh the park is is underratedly strong to pitch in more for their pitchers though because again their offense but as far as Kikuchi goes you know even with uh, the shellacking last time out at Oakland where he allowed 10 hits uh, five runs on those 10 hits only four of them earned but uh, even with that he still has that three ERA that I mentioned for the month and you know even in April when he only had a 454 ERA there was nothing bad. It was just kind of meandering because there weren't strikeouts. And so I understand why folks were kind of like, well, what do we really got here? Because I'm getting, you know, essentially uh, baseline quality start capability. And he had three baseline quality starts. Actually, excuse me. He had two six and threes, but then a six and three where only two were earned um, for his three quality starts in April for Kikuchi. And, but the strikeouts were just poor. In fact, let me add it up here. You're talking about 25 strikeouts in, and by the way, that includes two March starts, by the way. When I'm saying April, I mean, I'm lumping in the two March starts. That's seven total starts, one of which was a true open where he just threw one perfect inning with two strikeouts. Uh, But yeah, the strikeouts were just so, so weak. You're talking about 25 and 33 and two thirds. But then he opens the month with a 10 strikeout game at Cleveland. He has 25 again, but this time in 30 innings. So it's, it's the... It's still not something that you're like freaking out over of like, wow, I really have these great strikeout totals. In fact, a 21% mark with that 10 per strikeout, 10 strikeout game on the ledger kind of speaks to the fact that that was probably more flukish than anything else because he bounced right back. Standing really tall in Yankee Stadium with just one run in seven and two thirds, but only three strikeouts. So strikeouts aren't Kikuchi's game if that's what you're going for. Again, you're barking up the wrong tree, but I do think we're going to get a quality starter here. I like him a little bit better than Gonzalez, even though I have some of the same concerns. So just, 
he'll probably be ranked, you know, 10, 10 to 15 spots ahead of ahead of uh, Gonzalez just because, well, maybe, maybe they should be really close, to be honest. Because I don't want to just do recency bias on Kikuchi because he had a good month and Marco Gonzalez didn't. And say that because maybe they're just not that different. Yeah, I think I'm. I think I'm. I'm going that route where they might just be like five spots apart at this point, or back to back. Hell, maybe it's maybe back to back's the right answer, because you know Gonzalez was the one who had the great April. He had a 280 ERA coming out of that month. Falls on hard times in May. Kikuchi wasn't so great in in April and and gets going in in May. So. Yeah, I think they're pretty much the same, and that defense really challenges what they can do, and that's unfortunate because uh, I think with with quality support from a defense, they could both be pretty fun to have because they wouldn't be overpriced, and they would really help your ratios, especially if you're getting strikeouts elsewhere. Like One of these guys in a perfect world, or not even a perfect world, just a better world where they're not behind the Seattle defense, in that world... They pair well. They pair so well with somebody like a Robbie Ray, where you're getting your strikeouts from him. You just kind of mash the two together, and it's a super starter. But uh, as it stands right now, I'm kind of I'm kind of pulling back. As far as the rest of the rotation, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on Mike Leake, Tony Tommy Malone, uh, or Wade LeBlanc. I, I'm sorry, I just I can't because again, they just don't have enough strikeouts on this team. There are no swing and miss guys to overcome that god-awful defense and these three guys are essentially worse versions of Gonzalez and Kikuchi Wade LeBlanc is another lefty uh whereas Leak and well, Malone is another lefty as well so you got four lefties and then Leak Leak's just a right-hand version of them it's a pass man Gonzalez and, and Kikuchi maybe in some leagues where it's deep enough that I can hold them and kind of mess around otherwise no, I, I am. Uh, I'm out. I'm out on this on this team, which shouldn't be that surprising. Sorry, Seattle. All right. Next up are the San Francisco Giants. Let me see here. I've got I've got six more teams. It's already been an hour. God darn it. All right. Well, the Giants time saver Bumgarner, pretty solid. Gonna be on a different team. Uh, for those that are unaware, that uh, that no trade list, very calculated. He wants to go to one of those teams. Those are the, that. That's a where I want to go list. The ones that he put on his no trade list because he wants to be in control of where he goes. So he knows that those are the teams most likely to be interested in him. So that was a strategic play by him. He, he earned that. I respect it. I, I, I dig it. And uh, I'm eager to see what he can do with a new club. He falls into that ERA is a little bit higher at 410, but the whip's good at 119. I do like that 70 strikeouts in 68 innings for Bumgarner. He's been solid. Um, you know, it's certainly not peak Bumgarner or anything close to it, but he's, he's certainly a set it and forget it kind of guy right now. He's actually not even just leaning on the home ballpark. He has a 442 ERA there, 373 on the road. So it's not one of those things where, he, oh, you know, his ERA is two at home and then five on the road. He's had a couple of, uh, mediocre games at home that have pushed the ERA up there. Two five earned run outings at the hands of the Padres and the Yankees, who are coincidentally playing right now, that have pushed the home ERA up a little bit for Bumgarner, but he's pretty solid. Uh, And then... uh, That's about it. That's about it. That's about it. Uh, Jeff Samarja set up to face at Miami at Baltimore. Craps all over that in the first one. Should have known, should have known 
Used him in DFS last night at Miami. Five earned in four innings. Garbage. Garbage. You know, he was so cheap that I thought buying back in this year wouldn't be a bad idea. And right now, 383 ERA, 124 whip for 56 innings. Certainly hasn't killed you. I I kind of say just jump off the bandwagon now. T- take what you got. Cash in. You know, you, you you didn't you didn't go on the historical run. This is like when you're at the poker table or the or the blackjack table. You you didn't strike it rich, but you're up. Go go to bed. Go go back to your room and and get some sleep. Step away. Go to the buffet. Uh, you don't want to keep pushing this one because you're gonna get coolered or you're gonna you're gonna have that one guy come on the blackjack table and mess up all the odds and and cost you a few big hands. Uh, just just peel out. Uh, it's done with Samarja. Don't even take the at Baltimore start, in my opinion. Now, some of you are locked into it. If you did the two start, I get it. But if you have the option, then just uh, then just peace out. I, I, I say forget it. Uh, as far as the rest of that rotation goes, I can't really find much to be excited about. It looks like right now Tyler Beatty's penciled back in for Thursday at Miami. Now, I'm a little bit intrigued by Beatty. He came up and got absolutely blitzed. In, in a start, a spot start at Cincinnati, it was so bad. And then he's had two relief appearances since then and given up runs in both of them. So he hasn't really done anything here at the majors to say that I would go get him. It, this is more of just a watch sort of deal because he was a prospect of, of, of note. And he has done some good things at AAA this year, 49 strikeouts and 34 and two-thirds for Tyler Beatty. I believe his, uh, his velo is up this year. And so, yeah, you know... Th- it's just a watch list sort of guy. I'm not going to go pick him up. Even in NL only, I don't think I'd pick him up. But he is throwing 94 right now. And I would just kind of keep an eye if they do, in fact, bring him up for the at Miami start on Thursday. Sean Anderson, another prospect that they have now. I don't think, um, I think, I think he's kind of the other side of that coin there where it's not really a lot of great raw stuff. He throws 92 and a half from the from the right side, which is fine. You know, it's not that's not inadequate, but it's not some flamethrower. He did have a 25% strikeout rate at AAA, but strikeouts are not really a huge part of his game. So that's not the expectation for Sean Anderson. Maybe Beattie and Anderson are some guys that if they find uh, permanent rotation spots, that you could look at them as spot starters at home because anytime someone's in that ballpark, you have some interest. As far as Drew Pomeranz goes, no. You know, kind of a left-handed Jeff Samarjo, although he hasn't been good this year. My point is, is like a, a, a an older guy or a veteran guy. They're not old. Samarjo's well, Samarjo's thirty-four, but Palmer is only thirty. But a, a veteran guy who's been established and done some positive things before that you kind of want to trick yourself on. Just don't do it. Like, don't even sit at the table for Drew Pomeranz. You're cashing out on Samarja. You're not even sitting at the table for Drew Pomeranz. So there we go. San Francisco saved us some time. Let's move on to St. Louis. Now, they've hit some injuries, but they have some positive things going on in their rotation. We will start with their their ace right now, which is Jack Flaherty. Um, You know, coming into the season, I think he was their highest drafted because Carlos Martinez's injury situation became clear before draft season really hit the peak. So I think that Flaherty would have been Flaherty probably still would have been the top guy anyway. A lot of a lot of interest in him. He had he's had a good last month here with a 3.45 ERA, 1.12 WHIP, 25% strikeout rate. Walks are still a bit high, but he's got nasty stuff, man. He's so hard to barrel up. Um, that's why you see a low hit rate 
out of uh, out of Jack Flaherty, and we saw it last year and he, uh, over the last month alone, he's allowing a 178 average. And so when he's on, Jack Flaherty is so difficult to hit. But you know he does he can get a little wild. You see those two kind of go hand in hand sometimes. It's like they're so nasty that uh, if you wait them out. You can get on base via the walk, but otherwise you're going to have trouble, and, and that's kind of what we're seeing the opposition with right now. Miles Michaelis, we talked about him on the show a decent bit here, including uh, on a fireside where Nick sold me on you know, sticking with him. And it's been mostly good since since that point. One shellacking, though, has really kind of uh, put a rain cloud over uh, over it at, with a seven-earn run outing in one and a third at Texas, but he bounced right back with seven strong against Atlanta three earned nine strikeouts so you know if you just look at the month as a whole the majority over half of his runs for for the month 13 runs total seven came in that outing at Texas so he still put up a 413 ERA and 27 strikeouts and 28 and a third I'm actually I'm I'm fine with that because if you look at it in and you really you know analyze the game log there you're still getting a 110 whip and it's one awful start and four gems. I'm still very pro Michaelis. Uh, I doubt many people cut him after that Texas start. Although if people did, they probably picked him right back up after the Atlanta bounce back. So he's fine. I like where he's going. I still find him to be a... I, I, I will tab him as a buy lower. I think the folks that bought him are smart enough to understand what he's been doing lately. And they know that, that he isn't trash. So they're not just going to try to get rid of him and say, take him for anything. But you can get him at a discounted price from what Miles Michaelis' draft price was. So we'll call him a buy lower, not necessarily a buy low. I'm in on it, particularly if you need ratio help. Do not count on the 24% strikeout rate from this month carrying forward for Michaelis. If you get it, it's a bonus. But you're buying for ratio help, and I think you'll continue to get that, particularly with the whip. As far as Wainwright goes, I'm sorry, man. I just... I can't really muster up a whole lot uh, of consideration here to, to talk about him as a serious fantasy option in any league right now. 494 ERA, 141 whip. He's on the waiver wire in my uh, 11 team NL only, man. No, like no one's because that's that's a league where you have to start guys. Like there's no reserve. You can you can keep your injured guys or your guys who get sent to the minors. But as far as just reserving players, no. And so you know when you have to start somebody, you're not rostering Wainwright. Although that is a little bit of a unique league where it's uh, the NL plus Houston because it's a Houston-based league. And when it was started, they were in the league. So we voted them in. I hated it at the moment, um, but now I kind of like it. It's a little bit of a different quirk. It obviously adds a shit ton of talent to the pool because Houston's so awesome. So it's 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 fun, although I did lose Springer on, on that team recently. And I know you guys care about my updates there. Uh, Dakota Hudson had a 307 ERA in the last month, but it comes with a 140 whip and a 15% strikeout rate. So it's pretty fraudulent. I'm not really looking at uh, Dakota Hudson as somebody I want to get involved with here. He is a prospect of note uh, that you know in their system here, but I'm not really seeing the stuff play out right now. He does throw kind of hard. He had 96 last year, but he's only down, he's down to 93.7 this year. So it hasn't really been there. He does have two breaking balls uh, that he can work on. And, you know, I could see some development here over the summer, but I just don't see enough to buy in right now on Dakota Hudson. He's somebody I'm leaving out on the waiver wire in all formats and not even really considering spot starting in a two-start week. Uh, Waka's on the IL right now. And so Genesis Cabrera 
is coming up today, I believe. Today on Wednesday, he's going to be pitching. Let me pull up his profile real quick. Of course, he's the top minor leaguer uh, on our search. Everyone's wanting to see what this guy's all about. In 39 two-thirds at AAA this year, he has a 635 ERA, 156 whip. 21% strikeout rate, 10% walk rate, 14% swinging strike rate. He's put up a lot of good swinging strike rates coming up. So he's got some uh, nastiness on something, it would seem. Let me take a look at his profile in the uh, in the prospect list here. Did he make the list or was he just like an also mentioned? Let me see. Do the, the little control F. He was the 14th rated prospect on our, on our list uh, by Eric and Kylie. A 40 future grade. Let's go down to his profile proper here. They give him a 60-grade fastball. That's where the uh, swinging strikes are coming from. He was part of the return for Tommy Pham. Okay, okay. He has a near-ready relief pro- profile that might yield multi-inning value because of depth of repertoire. 90 to 95, 95 to 98-mile-per-hour heat from the left side. Ooh, okay, okay. Uh, and he has a bevy of inconsistent secondary offerings, slider curve change. Okay, interesting here. So maybe he's going to be utilized as like a... a multi-inning opener you know sometimes the opener is just that one inning just go out there kill it for one inning and be done maybe genesis cabrera is like a a, a known two to three inning guy but he's still going to do it at the start of the game and that could work interested to see what he can do tonight at philly i'll be keeping an eye on that as it stands right now you're not making any moves on him in in any league format that's genesis cabrera and that's going to wrap up St. Louis. We are cooking now. Let's go over to Tampa Bay, the aforementioned Rays. They did trade Genesis Cabrera for Tommy Pham, and they're not missing Genesis Cabrera at all. Their pitching is strong. Speaking of the opener, Ryan Stanek's been an absolute monster. Now, it's hard to determine his fantasy value beyond – or it's, actually, it's not. It's not hard. It's not hard. There isn't any, I don't, I don't think – Outside of AL only. You like getting those relief. You know, of course we know in AL, NL only, the uh, power relievers that that get you a bunch of strikeouts and have great ratios have value. Hell, even in some deep mixers, you know, 20 team, maybe 16 plus team mixers. I just, he's always on the wire in my 15 team leagues, Ryan Stanek is. And I, I like watching him. I know that he's good, but I can't ever really make the move to picking him up because I'm like, do I really need you know, four innings of a week of, of good work. No, not really. And he's available literally in all five of my NFBC leagues, including the second chance league. Now, three of those are 12 teamers, but the two 15 teamers, no one even really considers picking him up. So let's focus on their starters, uh, their, their traditional starters. Of course, Blake Snell, the beast, the god, uh, actually had the worst ERA of the month as far as their starters go, which includes their openers, at 362. That's hilarious. Just looking at a single month sample, some of the teams we've talked about here had guys that had like 20 innings of a 10 ERA or some crap. And and you see the Rays here, and they've got all these guys. And he's substantially worse, and I put that in extreme quotes and underline, because worse, I mean... By definition, sure, it's worse, but it's certainly not bad in any capacity. But uh, the next lowest is the aforementioned Ryan Stanek and Ryan Yarbrough. They're tied at 245 ERA for the month. Snell's at 362. He has a 110 whip, a 36% strikeout rate. He's been absolutely awesome. He has a very nice 6.9 hits per nine over the last month, 6.6 for the season. He's not walking, guys. He's really, really taken the next, uh, another step to solidifying himself. I mean, he's the reigning Cy Young, so what more can you really say? Except to, to point out that he's really backed that up. 
You know, there's there's no uh, there's no fluke factor here at all. So if you were worried about Blake Snell and didn't think that he could hold up, you've been wrong on that so far, and I, I don't know that it's going to turn. When he came back, I th- think it was after he came back from the toe, he got blasted by KC for seven earned, and uh, pair that with his first start of the year against Houston where he gave up five earned. Those 12 earned runs account for a substantial 63% portion of his earned runs for the season for Blake Snell. Two starts. Uh, the other four, eight starts that he has, he hasn't given up more than two. And he has 13, 11, 9, 3. That was a weird outing. Oh, he faced KC twice. So he faced them before he went on the... Uh, no, no. This was the one right after the IL. He faced them back-to-back. And they, they knocked him around twice after the IL toe thing. And we were like, oh, is the foot still bothering him? And he's like, no, it's my mechanics. It's it's on me. So for those who don't know, small flex here. Blake Snell and I were chill. He streams on Twitch, comes through on the stream, hangs out a bit. We talk to him. You know he's cool with me asking him straight up questions like, "What's up? What's up with the foot when you, when he's struggling or whatever?" He doesn't he doesn't duck away from being asked a, a you know a question about how it's going when things aren't going well, and he, he did not blame it on the toe. He said it, it's not that it's me. I will be better. The very next it, this was the day before his Arizona start. He goes out throws a one one hit, uh, excuse me six one hit innings with nine strikeouts, no walks. It was nasty. I mean, he's been so dominant since then. So he wasn't going to blame it on the toe. He just had had to get through some issues, and he's figured it out. He's been fantastic this year. He's an absolute monster. They had the two-headed righty-lefty monster of Snell and Glasnow. Glasnow was felled by injury, unfortunately, which really, really sucks, dude. Just watching those two, was it was so awesome. But it's a uh, a right forearm strain for Glasnow. He's been resting and rehabbing it. Expected to be back in early July. We'll see. So that's going to be about another month. Obviously, that's going to be a very telling month, and we'll kind of f- figure out what happens from there. Um, other than that, they've been piecing it together. Well, excuse me, Charlie Morton's a, a, a rock as well. So Morton... Has very capably fulfilled that 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 secondary role to to Snell, and they still are delivering a hell of a one-two punch. Morton has a 2.54 ERA and 1.16 WHIP with 77 strikeouts in 60 and a third. He's been a great signing for them. So they still have a one-two punch. They had a one-two-three punch when Glass now was cooking. Those three were just dominant. I mentioned that uh, that Stanek was uh, has been great. 2.97 ERA, 1.06 WHIP. 15 starts, uh, eight relief appearances for him to cover his 30 in a third innings, and he has 32 strikeouts during that time. Yanni Chirinos has been used as both a follower and as a traditional starter. He has five traditional starts, and I don't think any of those are opens. I think that they those were just, hey, here you go. You're, you're, you're regularly starting today. Let me fact check myself. Yeah, he actually went in all of his starts. He's gone at least five innings. And he's been really good this year. 291 ERA, uh, 42 strikeouts against 10 walks in 55 and two-thirds. Not a huge strikeout guy, but does have some swing and miss in this game. I still feel like there could be some more strikeouts on the horizon. At least last year, he had an 11% rate. This year, it is down to 10%, actually 9.5, really. So if you look at if you really look at pushing the decimal out, you're closer to two ticks off of the swinging strike rate for Yanni Chirinos. But I like what he's done. Even if he's only getting a 20% strikeout rate, I'll take the ratio help and the wins context. He's 6-1. and one. 
and you love him as the follower, to be honest. If I get Stanek Chirinos, uh, or if I get Chirinos coming after the Stanek starts, I love that. Because first off, he's setting a great foundation for you, Stanek is. And then your win probability goes up when the guy's pitching two through six or two through seven. So sign me the hell up for Yanni Chirinos for sure. Uh, he's been great. Ryan Yarbrough hasn't... Um, fully repeated the wins magic of last year when he was just a, a an absolute monster there but he does have four dubs he had a good month to kind of rebound he was brutal in the first month he has a 245 era and 0.68 whip this month in just seven innings i think he's been more of a traditional um i think he's been opening a bit or no no sorry he hasn't he had a traditional start and then a, a, a traditional, or a traditional, and then a follow after that. So he went seven and a third in the start, and then three, uh, three and three and two thirds innings in the follow that he did his next time out. So he just had a great, great month so far in his two outings. Did he go on? Oh, he went on the IL. Okay, that's. I was like, why does he have so few innings? I did not realize that Yarbrough went on the IL, and um, you know he did have that bad April. And it, he did have a seven earned run outing in four and a third against the Royals, but that wasn't it. That wasn't like just one bad outing ruining, ruining Yarbrough's numbers. Three innings, three runs against Boston, f- three innings, four runs at San Francisco. So he just struggled throughout that month. He's back. He looks good. Um, I've mentioned how much I like Chirinos and Yarbrough in starts caps head-to-head leagues where you can only have X amount of starts for the week because they when they follow – that's obviously not a start. So it's like a free start that you get out of your reliever there. So I love that. And I don't think that they're fully embraced in that. Like my league is not a bunch of idiots. Like they know what they're doing. And yet he still kind of slides out there a bit um, and, and goes on and off people's waiver wires because, or on and off the waiver wire because it's a 10 team league and holding Chirinos and Yarbrough is not something that you can always do because um, you know there's a lot of talent on the wire in a 10-team league. So you can still maximize their value there. Uh, who else have I not talked about? Uh, that's that's really it uh, because you know Hunter Wood is, is opened a bit, but we're not really worried about that. Tampa Bay is awesome, dude. Their, their, their staff is sick. Let's move on to the Rangers. They've got a few guys uh, of note. Actually, Mike Miner is, is the standout for sure. Mike Miner got going second half last year. This is not out of nowhere just for this year. Um, in fact, you know, I remember when he had the the great 2017 as a reliever for KC, I was excited that he was going to go back to the rotation a bit because I was like, well, if he can take some of those gains, it could really work out. Then he was in Texas, though, and I was like, I don't know how that's necessarily going to work out. I would rather him go back to the rotation in KC. And it didn't get off to a great start. As I mentioned, he was more of a second-half guy last year for Mike Miner. And let me see. I'm pulling up some numbers right now. Yeah, he had a 489 in the first half, 489 ERA with a 123 whip. And, you know, it wasn't good. And it, it was really – June was the only month of note for Mike Miner before he really got going in the second half. And then even July, he had a 504 ERA. But if you look at the last two months, 255 in August, 327 in September – with some strikeouts to back it up, a .94 second half whip for Mike Miner. So he really got going then, and then so far this year, 255 ERA, 113 whip. That whip's a little higher than than a, a 255 ERA would normally merit. We're not betting on a 255 ERA. If he can be like a 350 
uh, even that would be excellent, right? That's not that's not necessary to to justify Miner on your roster, but that would be a major major windfall. So even if from this point on he's like 350, 120 with strikeouts because he has 72 and 70 and two thirds innings, you'll take that from Mike Miner, and he had a pretty good month um, with a 210 ERA, but a 143 WHIP. So the WHIP was starting to creep up. But 26% strikeout rate, we like what he's doing. Lance Lynn's probably the only other one of note right now. And I don't know, man. This is this is a well I've been to many a time. I've been a Lance Lynn proponent in the face of, you know, everyone hating Lance Lynn. And then he pitches poorly. And I'm like, well, maybe I should have been on that train. And then he'll go on. He always seems to put together a run at some point, though. Usually when you least expect it. And, you know, you'll... you'll be thinking, okay, Lance Lynn is toast. He should be on every waiver wire. He's garbage. And then you look up, and it's like the fifth start uh, of a five-start run where he's allowed two or fewer runs. And that's exactly what happened last year, too. He had a 5-10 ERA with Minnesota. Uh, with Minnesota. Well, he gets traded over to the Yankees. It wasn't a trade. It doesn't say trade here. So I'm wondering if there was – did they just cut him? Let's look. Do, do, do. He was traded. For, yeah, oh yeah, that was the Tyler Austin trade for Luis Rijo and Tyler Austin. So he was traded over, um, and it was insane. He just started to go off. Maybe it was getting rid of his beard or something. Glaber Torres just went yard 7-0 now, Yankees. Um, he had a couple duds, but you look at the overall landscape there, and it was a 4.14 ERA and 54 and two-thirds with 61 strikeouts for Lance Lynn. And, you know... The, the the tough part about it was the duds were very unexpected. Toronto got him, at Miami got him, Detroit got him. But he closed, uh, Lance Lynn did, he closed last season with a 237 ERA in 19 innings. So he goes to Texas, though, and you're not really going to be intrigued by that. He opens with seven earned runs against the Cubs. You're like, yep, that's Lance Lynn for you. But then he puts together three gems. Now, this is the danger of Lance Lynn, and I'm going to mention this right now because he's on a hot streak. But he puts together three big starts after the opening season, uh, opening day dud. And it was a 2.41 ERA in 18 and two-thirds at L.A., uh, the Angels, at Arizona, and then home to the Angels. Well, then he goes out to Oakland when they're doing nothing and gives up eight in three and a third. And that's the thing. he always, When it goes sideways for Lance Lynn, it's usually a blow-up start. That took the ERA from... 241 in the three starts to 532 in the four starts. One bad start can ruin the entire good work you got. And then he bounces back with seven uh, seven innings with one earned and nine strikeouts at Seattle. Comes right back against Toronto. Gives up five earned with five walks. And you're like, okay. Now his last four are starting to draw some intrigue again. Three, three ERA because he has allowed uh, just nine runs in 27 innings, 34 strikeouts, six walks. That's a trip to Houston, trip to KC, and then a home and home against Seattle during which he has 21 strikeouts. He's just decimating Seattle. And so I think he had a two start this week. Let me look. Yeah. Oh, that, the, the first leg of that was already great. Was that was that uh, 10 strikeout outing in a baseline quality start on Monday. And then he gets KC later this week. And then he gets Oakland again. I, I worry, though, because I just wait for the other shoe to drop on Lance Lynn. Now, if you get this two-start week, I think you – God, it's so hard because I want I want to say you move off of him and you put him back on your, your bench or even on the waiver wire, depending on your league size, when he goes against Oakland. 
I want to see what Oakland's up to against righties. For the season, they're about average. They're 16th in WRC Plus at 96. I want to see what they're up to lately, though, because they're obviously surging. Let me see where they've been over the last 30 days. They've only moved up to 11th with a 104 WRC Plus, so they're not pummeling righties during this run here. Oh, man. If he beasts on KC, I guess you got to go with Lance Lynn for another start and kind of let it let it ride, but... Be, be eyes wide open of what you're getting into here with Lance Lynn. He can crap on all the good work in one fell swoop, and it doesn't necessarily have to come against a powerhouse team. You can be thinking that you're curating properly and putting him you know, at Miami or against crappy Detroit or you know, if they have like an interleague at San Francisco. It doesn't matter with Lance Lynn, though. He'll, he'll bomb you out anywhere. As far as the rest of the rotation, I'm sorry, man. I just... Uh, Nah, there, there's there's nothing here that's fantasy viable. Jose LeCork's been being used as an opener a bit. They seem to want to eventually get him back into the uh, into the bullpen as the closer. But if this works, maybe this maybe this can be uh, a good way to get him back on track. I, although I don't know that LeCork makes for a great opener because of the walks. You know, the last thing you want is is for somebody to open the game with like three walks, and all of a sudden this offense is clicking right off the top. But, uh, yeah, I got nothing else on Texas. Lynn and Miners, all you got. Uh, let's move out to Toronto. I don't have a ton here either because they've got some intriguing arms, but they're probably going to look better on a different team if and when they're traded. And that's obviously Marcus Stroman, number one. And then even Aaron Sanchez might might draw some intrigue. Although at this point, he's really name value only. Um, Stroman had a 431 ERA, 163 whip this month. Oof. He really came back to earth. Let me let me grab a drink here while I'm pulling up his numbers. <clears throat> Excuse me. But Stroman got off to a good start and you know, people want to buy in. He's a name and there there can be generate uh, we can generate excitement when he gets going. He's he's got you know, kind of a flashy guy. Uh, gets hyped when he's cooking. Even with the with the mediocre month, though, he still has a 2.74 ERA. Man, he must have been amazing in April. Yeah, 1.43 ERA. So um, it was a rough start to the month. LA got him, and I mentioned you know they're pretty good against righties and they don't strike out, and that's exactly what they did do against uh, 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 Stroman. Is is you know got to him and didn't strike out. And then Minnesota, there's no shame in getting blasted by Minnesota. He was mediocre against the White Sox. Baseline quality start, uh, or just over. Three runs, three earned, and six in the third. But then his last three starts, he's really gotten back on track, and he even escaped six walks against Boston. He put 11 base runners on, five hits, six walks, and only allowed one earned run. Wow, well done there. But his last three starts, Stroman is back on track. You know, he's kind of a guy that you you start in the two-start weeks. You kind of, uh, you kind of, Pick it, you know, be choosy with him otherwise. Like he's at Colorado this weekend. If anyone's doing that, I don't know. I don't know what your choices are. And then he gets Arizona at home. I don't think you want that either. So Strowman should be a bench right now for about two weeks, which is tough. So then if you have him in 10 or 12 team, I think that ends up becoming kind of a cut. I know it's impossible. They're seemingly impossible to put a 274 ERA back out on the waiver wire, but it's a 133 whip and there's not a lot of strikeouts to go with it in his very nice 69 innings. So, you know, it's fool's gold with that ERA. 
He's not a 274. He's not close to it. Can he be a 374 for Strowman? Perhaps, but I'm not that sold on, on everything that he's doing here. Trent Thornton is kind of interesting. He gets some strikeouts. He has a 371 ERA, 116 whip this month, 25% strikeout rate. 12% walk rate's a little high for Trent Thornton. I don't love that. That's just for this month. For the season, he's at 26% strikeouts and 11% walks. So yeah, the walks are a little bit high. Um, he allows too many homers to 1.6 homers per nine. And so I got to be mindful of that as we're, as we're starting him and being careful of where we're starting someone like Trent Thornton. Now he avoids the Colorado series, but he does go to Tampa Bay today. So we'll see how that goes. And then he gets the Yankees at home um, next week. As far as Aaron Sanchez, yeah, like I said, you know, it's a name value at this point. I, I can't really recommend having him in many league formats right now. I understand in AL only, you kind of have to have him at least on a roster somewhere. Uh, and the 375 ERA, you know, similar to Strowman's, it's fraudulent. But if your 375 is fraudulent, that means you're you're a five guy. If your 274 is fraudulent, that means you're a four guy. And so obviously, I'd you know, I'd rather deal with, with that situation. So... Um, yeah, with Aaron Sanchez, nasty stuff. And when you watch him on the right day, you're like, this guy is a monster. But you watch him on the wrong day and you're like, well, maybe relief is, is where you need to be. But it's not great. And then the rest of what they got going, Clayton Richard, Edwin Jackson. I've always been an Edwin Jackson guy. And I'd love to see him, you know, have another random run. But no, there's no fantasy viability outside of uh, an extended run of quality work backed by numbers that I could say, okay, Edwin Jackson is is doing something. But nope, not now. And finally, we wrap it up with Washington, and we get to the final team of our, of our 30-team check-in. And Washington's a pretty good one to check in on, although I will say there's not a whole lot of actionable stuff here because the guys that they have, the three at the top, are set it and forget it's regardless of what's going on with the Nationals. That god-awful bullpen, the fact that they're just a major disappointment. What, you're going to bench Corbin for that? You're going to bench Strasburg, Scherzer? No, of course not. So it's three set it and forget it, and, and they're monsters, and I have no issues with any of the three of them. They've all actually had really good months. Scherzer at 237, 126 ERA whip combo. Strasburg, 261.97, and Corbin, 315, 113. And they all have their strikeouts in line for this month. They've been fantastic, and yet uh, they probably have like one win combined. Okay, they have seven, but but still, shouldn't they have more than seven? How many total starts is that? Let me see if I can figure that out real quick here. That is 18 total starts, and they only have seven wins with that good of work. Surely the win probability, if you, if you tell me those ERA and WHIP combined for about 120 innings, should be much higher. 119 innings, 119 and a third innings. Should be much higher than seven wins, but that bullpen sucks. I was bought in on Anibal Sanchez as a late-round flyer this year. I liked what he did last year. I've been kind of a, a, a Sanchez believer in past years. He got that cutter, and I was pretty excited that, you know, hey, there, there's some there's some wiggle room here to kind of fall back and still be useful. 
but he's fallen way back, and the homers have returned back up to 1.3. The hits have really returned, though, too. He had a 255 Babbitt last year. We knew that that was going to go up, but it's gone all the way up to 310, so he's allowing 9.8 hits per nine, and that's really messed him up. The strikeouts have faded as well, so it's all been kind of going the wrong way for Anibal Sanchez. Now, over the last month, he does have a 352 ERA, but a 150 whip, so the whip's still too high. The strikeouts have returned, though, at 30%. He's somebody I would monitor. Um, and certainly keep a close eye on because I think there could be some some runs of summer usefulness out of Anibal Sanchez if that if that cutter's clicking again and he really he really gets going. But for the most part, uh, in your shallower leagues, he's waiver wire fodder that you're kind of moving back and forth uh, for the spot starts where you see fit. Um, and then NL only, you kind of hang on to him because again, as I mentioned with Aaron Sanchez in AL only, when you're in those only leagues, you need guys with a pulse. So that's the kind of Anibal Sanchez's fate right now. As far as like, I don't even know who their fifth is right now. Is it uh, Eric Fetty? Is it Jeremy Hellickson? Looks like it's Fetty right now. He's penciled in to go at Cincinnati later this week as the fifth starter. I mean, he was a prospect of note. He has some mildly intriguing stuff. I would need to see something you know, extended run here to really buy in, which means I'd be out on it because you're not going to get, you know, if he puts up one brilliant start, you know, in Cincinnati this week, this weekend, people are going to jump on Eric Fetty. And that's just not going to be something that I'm going to be inclined to do. I mean, he did go, he actually has two good starts in a row, five, five innings in both, zero earned against Miami, one earned at the Mets, but it's with five strikeouts and against four walks. So, it's a pass for me. Anyway, that's the check-in on all 30 rotations. You can listen to the three episodes. Hopefully you've been following them to this point. But if not, you can go back to the other two. Uh, I think they'll, you know, they'll have some value for at least another couple week, uh, another week or so here, I would say. Pitching's so volatile, though, that these things, you know, this one's going to have value longer than the others. You know, the first one that came out on the 15th probably already has some major changes on those top, uh, those first 10 teams just with like injuries of some sort. I'm trying to think of anybody in that top 10 that I did there that has some major changes either health-wise or performance-wise. I don't know. Maybe I'd be even more uh, in on Lucas Giolito because you know he's, he's been excellent since and not just picking on a good record. But anyway, uh, I'll also have a, a ranking out very soon, probably Monday, maybe Friday. We'll see how the week goes as far as time. But that's what we've got, and hopefully you guys enjoyed these. I appreciate you guys always listening to the solos. Uh, I'll come up with a different topic for the next solo. Hopefully it won't be a series that requires three parts, and then I'll have the third one hanging over me like, damn it, you were supposed to do it this weekend. But I appreciate you all listening, and have a good day.